Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Harsh Patel. Harsh is a serial entrepreneur, having exited three businesses as founder or CEO. Uh, Most recently and notably, he led the successful turnaround at Galvanize, which uh, culminated in an acquisition by Stride for $165 million in 2020. As you'll hear, not only was that a successful experience for him, but it also helped him learn his biggest lesson, which I think you'll enjoy. Hey, Harsh, thanks for joining us on the show today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You have a super interesting career having uh, worked in starting in TFA, being a founder, being a CEO at, at some companies. Would love to hear hear your story. <laughs> Happy to tell it. I'm trying to figure out how to uh, you know bring it down to a few few seconds or a few sentences. But yeah, essentially, I started as an engineer on my way to med school and then uh, took a detour when I started doing Teach for America for a couple of years. And then I just got hooked on education and never went back to med school. But from there, started a, a coding boot camp, sold it to another coding boot camp, sold that to another coding boot camp, and then sold that to a publicly traded company recently. Uh, That's so. just the classic acquisition story, right? Boot camp to boot camp to boot camp to public company. It happens all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so tell me about you know the experience going from TFA to then founding a company. Well... There's a company before uh, the bootcamp. The bootcamp is called MakerSquare. And so there's a company before that uh, where we built software for teachers. And while I was a teacher, you know, I was like a techie young teacher amongst other teachers who were not young or techie. Uh, and so I was using like, you know, computers in my classroom for a lot of stuff. I taught math and science. And for math, I used a lot of Khan Academy. Um, th- and this is right when Khan Academy was getting big. And so I, I used a lot of it. I started blogging about it. And I started getting like inbound requests from like administrators across the country being like, hey, can you come teach our teachers on how to use Khan Academy? And I was like, what the hell? I'm like 21 years old. I don't know shit. But at that moment, I realized that there's like a lot of opportunity for uh, it just just in the business world. Because remember, I was on the med school track the whole time. I had no idea what the hell business was. And so I just got really excited about like adding value from, from what I knew already in the education space. And I noticed that there's just a lack of technological usage. And so, you know, after, after getting excited about how I could actually add value to the space, someone reached out and wanted to start a company where we built software for teachers. And I was like, screw it. What's the worst that could happen? Like this company falls apart and I go back to med school, whatever. Uh, and we, we raised a little bit of funding and built a platform where teachers could text their students' parents. And that was like a game changer for our school to, to get students to do stuff. So, you know, that that's how I got into building companies in the first place. But yeah. And I, and I know it's quite a long story, but would love to just hear the abbreviated version of your experience with Galvanize. A lot of people in Denver, yep. you know, no, no bits and pieces of the Galvanize story and, you know, really prominently off to a great start, had some ups and downs, Ultimately, if you at the helm had a successful outcome, would love to hear a little bit about that experience. 
Yeah, for sure. So um, I joined Galvanized by acquisition. Um, Galvanized bought Hack Reactor, which is the company that I was running. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, and as everyone knows, you know, tumultuous up, ups and downs for Galvanize. And, and I didn't know that before I walked into Galvanize. And, you know, after, after the Hack Reactor acquisition, I actually felt a little out of place because things weren't happening in a way that I felt really proud of building, even though I was part of the leadership team. And so ultimately, you know, I, I actually decided to leave Galvanize at that time. And the board convinced me otherwise. And so, and, and they convinced me to, to, to stay and, and take the helm, which I thought a lot about and ultimately decided, all right, sure, let's do it. But, you know, there, obviously there's a lot of story in there, but, but uh, that's, how, that's how it happened. And then eventually just brought back a lot of different team members I'd worked with in the past, turned the company around. Uh, and earlier than I expected, I think earlier than anyone expected, uh, came K-12 uh, with an interest to get into this space. And they ultimately ended up buying us for a great outcome. What are you up to now? <laughs> uh, we had a kid about six, seven months ago. So dad life uh, is a big part of it. I've, part of that is also I've, I've, I've decided to take it easy a little bit. I'm, I'm picking up golf. So I used to be really, really bad about a month and a half ago and decided that I was going to get better. And now I'm maybe average uh, on my way to being okay or good. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think anyone ever gets good at golf. I think okay <laughs> on yeah. the road to getting good is always uh, the best the best possible outcome. So good. <laughs> yeah. And then most recently, I'm actually working on another company now uh, in the blockchain space. Uh, so that's as of like two weeks ago. But that's what my time is filled with: kid, golf, working on this other company. And Harsh, as part of the the acquisition, uh, that's when I believe you you first came to Denver about three years ago or so, and, and made the yep. move. Uh, would just love to hear your perspective on how you've seen Denver, you know, evolve in the time you've been here, and, and why you're excited about companies being built here in the future. Yeah, I mean, gosh, uh, I even feel weird even commenting on how Denver has evolved because I just got here, but I, I can see that it has evolved even just in three years. And, uh, you know, when I first came, I think the startup ecosystem was, was doing pretty well to begin with. I, and I got a view of that through Galvanize's co-working business, obviously. Um, and even just in the, in the three short years I was here, Galvanize, uh, Denver and Boulder from a co-working and, and number of companies in it perspective just kept growing. And so I, I just saw firsthand a lot of people moving here from the coasts. Uh, and with COVID, I think that just accelerated it even further. Um, you know, you guys probably get a get a much better view of this than I do these days uh, through the through the fund. But I've just seen a lot of my friends and uh, friends that are building companies move from both of the coasts uh, to here. And why do you think people are choosing Denver? I think it's just a quality of life thing. It's it's just so easy to get to the mountains over the weekend while still having a bit of a, a city vibe. You know, there's pockets of Denver that feel very city-ish. Uh, and, but I think for the most part, it's just being closer to outdoors. Yep. Yeah, I think we, we found an amazing spot here where I think you don't have to sacrifice ambition and quality of life, which I think is a trade-off that a lot of folks on both of the yeah. coasts were having to make. Uh, so we'd love to transition to, to why we're here. We'd love to hear from you, Harsh, what your biggest lesson is, <laughs> how you learned it and, and how you embrace it going forward. For sure. And I thought a lot about this before this uh, podcast. I'd never been asked that question before. 
but I think I've distilled it down to uh, always being honest and direct in literally every single situation. And all, all the way from, you know, I'll give an example of galvanize, like all the way from talking to, you know, high stakes situations, like talking to acquirers, being honest and direct down to, you know, the company level, talking to the board, being honest and direct down to the employees, talking to the employees at all hands, just being very honest and direct, even if it goes against what you've been told is normal in terms of running a company or selling a company. Uh, that's been my biggest lesson is just work backwards from being honest and direct and you'll end up with a good outcome at every level, all the way from, you know, acquiring all the way down to, you know, managing a team and, and talking to your employees. You know, it's one of those lessons that sounds like maybe it should be obvious, right? Be honest and direct. But, but you know, I have some experience that uh, shows me that it's not always obvious as well. I yeah. uh, was wondering if there were one or two specific examples from your career either with people leading you or as a leader where you really first learned how important that lesson was? I think the biggest was when we did layoffs at Galvanize. So right after I took over, Galvanize was growing but not profitably. And my goal was let's get it growing profitably. And that involved um, doing a round of layoffs. And, you know, I, I read so a lot about like, how do you do a layoff effectively? And most people were like, you can't. Uh, and I was like, that's not possible. Uh, you've got to be, like, everything can be done right. And so I started from like, okay, well, what, let's just be, if I was just being honest and direct with employees, what would I say? And ultimately the, that led to us doing a formula that I think works for layoffs. And I, I try to advise startups and, and, and bigger companies the same thing. And, and, and it, it's the following. What we ended up doing was, we, we ended up uh, doing an all hands before we did a round of layoffs, like literally hours before. And we told everybody that we were going to do layoffs, just plain and simple. And we told them why, you know, this part of the company was underwater. This part of the company is doing well. This part of the company needs change. And we said, here's, uh, here are the rules that are going to be affected. And if you're impacted by this round of layoffs, you'll find out at the end of this all hands via an email. And it's not, it's not a personal thing. Um, as you can see clearly from these, you know, this data set, we have to do something differently. And, and that's why we're doing it. And by the way, here's what we're doing to help the people that are impacted. And, and that just went a really long way. Like that was just honest and direct. Like here's what's happening and why it's happening. Uh, and then, you know, right after that, we sent out emails to people that were impacted. And the, the biggest value out of that was the people that were being laid off weren't mad at us. They understood why. But the even bigger value was the people that were staying who were friends with the people that were being laid off. They trusted us uh, because they, they knew, okay, I know why my friends are being let go. Um, and I don't have to feel any weird way about it. Uh, and I can trust this team going forward because they did the right thing for the people that were being let go. And, and that was, you know, that's one example of, of just honest and direct. And no one tells you like, you should tell people that you're going to do layoffs. Like no one says that. Everyone says, do the layoffs. It'll be a surprise to everybody. And then talk to the team afterwards. And that's just trash advice. Yep. Yeah. You know, I unfortunately had to, in, in 2014, um, as part of the leadership team of my company, do a reduction in force that was about 40% of the company. And a piece of advice we got from one of our board members, which was really valuable that helped guide a lot of us, at least, was it's not about the people that are, are leaving. It's about the people that are there. 
But I think to your point, Harsh, a big part of the people that are there is how you treated the people that are no longer there, right? And maintain yeah. it. And it sounds like you got that right and nailed that from the start. And, and that's such a key thing I think people overlook. Absolutely. And I even asked our board, I said, hey, you guys know we're going to do layoffs. Any advice? And no one said to do it that way. But again, so that's just like, you know, that it doesn't feel normal, but it ends up being right, just being honest and direct. Yep. And can you, can you um, give advice to anyone who's listening on, I think a tendency sometimes is when you get into really hard situations, where your advice of your biggest lesson of being honest and direct is most important, right? I think sometimes people, though, are, are afraid sometimes of how that directness might be perceived or it might not come across as, as empathetic and direct at the same time. I uh, would love your coaching to folks on how to to be both, you know, direct, transparent, and empathetic in hard situations at the same time. Yeah, I think um, it's really hard to teach empathy, but I think that the closest that I can get, at least in a short conversation, is like, pretend like you're talking to one person rather than your whole company at the exact same time. And, and craft your message as if you're just talking to one person that's being laid off. Um, and that's going to be ac- applicable more broadly too. Um, and, and, you know, you can always, a lot of it has to do with the tone of your voice, um, the, uh, your word choice, um, you know, how you, and, and all of that can get crafted really well if you just imagine that you're talking to one individual like you're having a conversation with them. Um, you know, you're generally never mean to anyone in a conversation. You're never, you're always putting yourself in the other person's shoes in a one-on-one conversation. And so my advice is just, you know, craft the messaging as if you're just talking to another person. Per uh, Chris's question around, you know, it being, it can be scary, right, to have, to be direct like that. When you take yourself back to that time of doing the layoffs and making that decision of, I'm going to be honest and direct in this context, even though it's gone against some of the advice I may have gotten from from others. What were you afraid of? Like, what you know, what, what were you worried might might backfire from that directness um, as you went into that that conversation? Yeah, it's this unknown thing. Like, any anytime you do something different or new, you're like, what didn't I think of? And that's what I was worried about. Have I not thought of something? Why doesn't everyone do it this way? There must be a reason why everyone doesn't do it this way. And that's the thing I'm scared of. I, some, for some reason, you know, I'm the uh, schmuck that didn't figure out what, why everyone doesn't do it this way. And there's got to be a reason. So it's like this scary, being scared of, of something unknown um, that you couldn't predict happening. It's, it's one of those things that I think is so, so interesting is the reluctance that people have of being honest and direct. You know, mm-hmm. even though in every situation I can think of harsh, it's something that, that you want and appreciate, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I go back to when Chris and I were raising, um, raising range last year, raising mm-hmm. our, our fund, first fund. And we had great conversations with LPs, but what we expected, like anytime you're fundraising, we expected, you know, a lot of no's mm-hmm. from, from folks. What we didn't expect, I think, was the proportion of no's that came in the form of ghosting, right? Of just not even saying <laughs> yeah. no. Versus, and I think it outweighed the actual no's we got something like two to one. Yeah. And that, re- that really surprised me because an honest and direct no is welcome whenever anybody's asking for things or fundraising as a company, as a fund, as, as anything. And so it's a great question as to why folks 
are so scared of that honest yeah. and direct when it's going to be appreciated nine times out of 10 by the audience. For sure. And you, you know, you asked earlier, um, uh, you, you, uh, you, you asked me for two examples. So I got another one. Uh, Great. Ready Let's hear it. it. All yeah. right. So, you know, I, I picked two examples, one at the lowest of levels, right? When you're talking to your frontline employees. Um, and then this next example is at the highest of levels when, when we were being courted for an acquisition. I was very honest and direct with the CEO of the company that was buying us. I told him in the first few email interactions that we didn't want to sell right now, that we don't look good right now. We have some cleaning up to do. Here's all the skeletons in our closet. Basically, all the reasons why they, they shouldn't buy us because I didn't want them to waste their time, but more importantly, waste and distract uh, my team's time. Because any, anytime you get into acquisition talks, you know, every, everyone's mind just goes crazy. And so um, I was very honest and direct with them about like, you know, here's why you shouldn't buy us. Um, and here's what it would take to buy us. And I said, you, you've got to buy us for at least 150 million. I don't think I can convince anyone on our board to sell for less than that. And it's got to be within three months. You can't have a long drawn out process. And ultimately they said, actually, yeah, somewhere around 150 works. We can do it in three months. And thanks for telling us all your uh, all the reasons why we shouldn't buy you, but we still want to consider it. And that strategy, you know, in hindsight was brilliant. Um, but at the time, I was just being honest and direct. It was brilliant because it made the diligence process really easy because they knew all the skeletons. It made the timeline really easy. They had already verbally committed to, yep, we're going to do this within three months. And it made the dollar negotiation super easy because they knew where we stood and they just had to come up you know, north of that. And, and ultimately, they, they did end, this buying, end up buying us for more than the 150 and in less than three months. So you, you, you generally just get a good outcome when you're honest and direct. Harsh, that's something we found very effective when we were fundraising for Apartment List and being from Michigan and just outside of Detroit, we actually called it Eight Mile in ourselves. If you remember the opening scene of the movie Eight Mile where Eminem's in that rap battle and he starts by saying all of the bad things about himself that you could first make fun of him for, and then the other guy has nothing left to say. Yeah, right? I love it. I love and it. And the rest of it. And we found it was super helpful to be like, here are all of the things we see as risks in our business, right? And it immediately got them on the table. You understood if folks on the other side were going to move past them, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something that Adam and I really appreciate and founders we talk to is if you have a deep understanding of the risks in your business as a founder, you're going to figure out how to shore those up quicker, right? Than if you mm -hmm. don't. And I think it's both a function of you can be direct and honest. And I think it's not just being direct and honest externally, but you can be direct and honest with yourself about what's working and most importantly, what's not working. And so I think yeah. that that lesson applies that you've taught us both externally and internally. For sure. Yeah. I think it's something just to expound on that a little bit, uh, Chris, it's something that we see harsh. And I don't know if you, if you see in your experience working with startups as an investor as well, that, you know, founders oftentimes are so afraid to show any weakness, perceived weakness or vulnerability that they don't show what those risks are. And what they don't realize is when you don't show what those risks are, an investor is trained well enough to try to figure out where they are themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and if you, um, better for you to own the narrative and own the risks and direct the investors 
to those risks, the ones that you know are the real ones that you can have a conversation about and a great perspective versus letting them go on a fishing expedition and come up with a bunch of reasons themselves that may or may not be on point. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I, I, and I, in the founders that I meet with that I end up saying no to, um, I also give them that feedback. Uh, like, you know, just telling them like, Hey, I think you're underestimating the value of, um, talking about what's going wrong or what could go wrong. It's just really valuable when you're fundraising to, to be upfront and direct. It just makes the whole process so fast. Absolutely. And, and we all know, all of us who've been in the startup world know things are going wrong, right? Yeah, there are yeah. major risks. And so when you tell us as a founder, there aren't any, well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We know, there's so- we know there's something there. Yeah. Um, Harsh, well, this is fantastic. Uh, what a great lesson and, and great experiences uh, that you have. Uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way to either follow you or, or contact you? Oh, man. Twitter's probably the best, even though uh, I'm not that good at Twitter. It's Harsh on internet on Twitter. Or you can just shoot me an email. Uh, if you go to hpatel.io, um, which is just like a little landing page for myself, uh, you can find my email and phone number there. Or just go out on any random golf course in Denver and you've got a pretty good chance these days you're going to see Harsh. It's likely. It's likely. Right now, my favorite is Evergreen uh, and I go there frequently right now. So if you're, if, if you're an Evergreen in particular, <laughs> you'll probably see me. Sounds great. Harsh, thanks again for joining us today. This was great. For sure. Thanks for having me.